This is your warlord of weird, Sin Bodhi, and you are watching, listening, dwelling with 55 Live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show here on the WZWA Network. I am the host with the most California Inferior. I'm very excited to be with you all here today. And I'd like to introduce first and foremost, my co-host here, Mr. 55 Live, Jack Wallace. Jack, how are you doing this morning? Ah, oh, so good to be back. It's been like five, five, six episodes that I have, um, haven't been able to do due to work commitments or being too late at night because you're a fucking night owl that stays up till four in the morning uh whatever the case may be so it's uh not only is it great to be interviewing someone at 11 30 in the morning but it's even better to be here uh with someone that i am so curious about uh who's got like quite the interesting story in our professional wrestling uh, particularly is uh is a short-lived but very very interesting wwe run which we'll dive deep into uh how are you doing today carl I'm just, I'm tired, bro. I'm tired, but you know what? I'm going to get myself all pumped up here because we have former WWE superstar and TNA superstar. He's been all around the place, really. He is the one and only Sin Bodhi. How are you doing today, Sin? Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, doing good, bro. Doing well, Happy man. to have you on the show. Um, and we'll throw it over Thank to you. Jack for the first round of questions. Well, Sid, um, awesome to have you on the show today, man. And um, we'll get straight into the first question. As usual, with uh, everyone on our podcast, we always ask, uh, how did you become a wrestling fan? Uh, I was stuck in a little ranch house, a little farmhouse when I was a kid. And I just had uh, had two or three channels on the TV and I had a bunch of comic books. And uh, one of those channels had wrestling. And so to me, it was just live action comic books. And... Hey, uh, one sec. Karen, can you give me your head, headphones? Because I can barely hear these guys. Yeah. My, my headphones are in the Awesome. Okay, well then. Never mind. Uh, all right. Okay, I'll make two. I'll make two. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. I was just, I could barely hear you. No worries, man. Um, yeah, when you get your headphones in, I'll just re ask that question again. We'll go from there. Okay. Karen, can you give me your headphones then? I didn't. So. That's yeah, that. Don't yeah. make me suplex you on this uh, on the Zoom uh, doohickey. So that way I don't incriminate myself by uh, suplexing my wife for everybody to see, <laughs> especially you guys down down uh, under in uh, in New Jersey. So <laughs> or Mars or whatever where the heck you guys are. So where oh God, where is Australia? Where is Australia compared to compared to the states? Might as well be another planet, man. It's uh, it's, it's uh, to the left and, and down a bit. <laughs> so, it's so far away. So far away that the, the toilet. It's been a lot of when I got my first, uh, when I got my release from WWE uh, back in the day, like as talent, um, Australia is one of the first places that I, I did a tour. I really enjoyed it there. That was pretty pretty neat to see like a kangaroo just hop across the street i thought i was like you know when the chicken crosses the road jokes or whatever i'm just like y'all just see that kangaroo or am i hallucinating and they're like, no, it's uh yeah so with the first question of the of the show as usual with everyone that we ask um on the show first up uh, how did you become a wrestling fan 
It was just uh, when I was a little kid, I was just sort of uh, stowed away in a little ranch house, little farmhouse just outside of Orangeville, Ontario, Canada. And we got only two or three channels on the television and had a stack of comic books. And one of those three channels had wrestling. So wrestling and comic books were sort of uh, one and the same to me. You know, one was live action and one was on the pages of a, of a, you know, of a book. And my brain just sort of would race and I would just enjoy the stories and the characters and the villains and the, the heroes and so forth. And I was just uh, hooked from a very, very young age. Awesome. Man. And that's uh, pretty much like most of us as well, hooked from a very young age and we'll never grow out of it. Um, I also read uh, you were growing up with uh, Edwin Christian and in uh, Edge's book, um, your nickname was Fatty as a Child. Um, was, being <laughs> yeah. with, was being friends with uh, Edge and Christian growing up, was that uh, a big influence for your uh, wrestling fandom too? Uh, how did, like, did they influence me as a wrestler? Is, is that what you mean? Like, uh, we all are, are... Go ahead, uh, sorry. Sorry, when you were growing up with them, uh, did they sort of influence your fandom as well? So, obviously, they were obviously lifelong fans as well. Uh, when you were growing oh, up... Oh, we were, we were all just... Yeah, we were all just huge fans. Like, we were all just loved it. We, uh, we liked some of the same characters. We didn't like some of the same characters, but we were all massive wrestling fans. Um we would go to shows, WWF shows to the Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. And um, I remember the very first, very first wrestling show I ever saw was uh, like an independent show. And it was uh, in my hometown at the little hockey arena. And we saw like Sweet Daddy Siki. And I want to say Sabu before he was Sabu. Like he was just a kid. Like basically he was, I want to say he was like Elephant Boy or something like that. He looked like. Oh, yeah. He looked like uh, Mowgli from uh, the Jungle Book. Like, he was just a, little, like, just a young kid, you know, like he couldn't have been. He had to be like a little teeny bopper at, at tops, you know. And uh, they had like a, an actual bear. One dude wrestled the bear. And then there was, a, wow. there was a, an old school cat. And uh, I think it was Bullet Johnson, who was, I guess, kind of like a Canadian indie version of like uh, – uh, oh, why am I bleeding farting? Why can't I think of uh, Stan Hansen and all that stuff? So it was just, it was pretty crazy. Um, different characters, you know, the wild man, the beast and all these guys. So it was, uh, you know, characters were a little bit different back then, but it was all the stuff of comic books and I was just totally hooked. But yeah, Edge and Christian and myself, we all, like Edge was a massive Hogan fan. I was the Roddy Piper, Jake the Snake guy. Uh, Jay, uh, Christian, he was sort of, um, he loved Hulk Hogan for sure. Totally not as much as Adam did, Edge did. Um, but uh, I, I want to say he sort of liked some of the more innocuous characters, like guys that are phenomenal wrestlers and workers. But as a kid, maybe you're too busy, you know, trying to hate the bad guy, not realizing what they really bring to the table as far as like work rate. So he would like guys like Cowboy Bob and stuff like that. And a lot, a lot of the guys that I enjoy as a worker, I couldn't stand as a kid. And then I guess as, my, as I kind of got older and I kind of understood the gag and understood kind of what kind of skills went into it, it really made me appreciate. And the good guys and bad guys, like both. It wasn't just that I was a little kid that hated the bad guys. Sometimes I liked the bad guys. Uh, but it was just as far as what they did in the ring, it was really quite amusing to kind of look back years later and realize like – man, I was so mad at that guy when I was a kid, you know, like Adrian Adonis or Cowboy Bob, um, George Steele, all those guys. I just, I could not 
stand those guys when I was a little kid, but love them as an adult, love them as a worker, as a wrestler. Yeah, man, awesome. Um, and of course, when did you decide that the uh, wrestling bug beat you and you decided to become a wrestler? Uh, so I loved it always. Um, from the first moment I saw it, I was thoroughly hooked. But I just I didn't arrive at the conclusion that I could be a wrestler. I just kind of thought it was the stuff of, you know, Hollywood or, or fantasy or whatever. They didn't think like real people could go do that. Like these guys were so larger than life and how it was portrayed and how my mind's eye as a kid took it all in. I kind of thought you had to be about seven feet tall just to be a referee. So I thought I'm probably not going to be seven feet tall. I was just this tiny little kid. So I thought it just wasn't going to be in the cards. And then, uh, you know, the famous story of edge winning that essay contest to go train with Ron Hutchinson. Um, so once he sort of, reached that fantasy land where we thought something like that was in, untouchable. And so Edge, uh, Adam, he kind of broke down that force field. And then uh, Jay and I, Christian and I, um, we sort of discussed maybe we could go a year or two later, depending on if we got into college or not. And I got into college and he didn't. So he went first. And I, I really do attribute to me following uh, that direction and, and becoming a wrestler um, to Christian because he was smaller than I am. And like, I'm not a small guy and neither is he, but I, I was bigger than him and all that kind of stuff. And I just thought, well, if that pipsqueak can do it, then I can do it. Cause I just, again, had it in my head that, that, uh, you know, you had to be eight feet tall or whatever to, to do this. And Christian, as I want to say, I don't know, six, one, six, two, you know, 220, 230 pounds, right about this, about the same height, but I, I got him by about 20 pounds. So I just kind of thought like, all right, if he can, if he can do this, I'm going to do this. I was, you know, I would win the wrestling matches uh, with him in, uh, in, you know, rolling around like uh, just in our houses, just being silly. I remember I, I, I out wrestled him to get him his first date. Uh, he was so shy. He had absolutely no game and he wanted to call this girl and he was too gutless to call this girl. And, I, I snatched the number and I ran into his room and I started dialing the phone and he tackled me and we just rolled around. Like it was like a like world's cartoon, Tom and Jerry, you know, like a <laughs> Wiley coyote fights and just a cloud and smoke coming out of it and stars. And, and we rolled around and I, I, I pinned him down to the ground and I literally had him like in, in a hold where he just couldn't get out of. And I picked up the phone with the other hand and dialed the number and he's like, don't you do it. Don't you do it. Come on. He said, I'm like, the phone's ringing. The phone's ringing. He's like, you bastard. I'm going to get you, whatever, whatever. And as soon as she went, hello. And I put the phone up next to his ear. He's like, you son of a, he goes, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? And so, and so maybe he, maybe he let me win. I don't know. You know, maybe he did really deep down want to call the girl or whatever, but he put up pretty good, pretty good fight. But so there you go. Oh, that's a great story. I mean, uh, that's an even even better friendship moment there. You're a real good friend for doing that to him, man. Um, <laughs> we, we, we try. We try. Our, our friendship has stood the test of time. So um, they're as close to me as, as my own flesh and blood brother. Um, Adam is sort of, is probably, like I was telling him the other day, like him and my wife are about the only two humans I would probably blindly just follow into battle. Everybody else, I have my, my friendships and my brotherhoods and my loyalties and whatnot, but I would still always ask questions and want to know for myself if this, you know, whatever dilemma, whatever task, whatever adventure, you know, I, I would need to know what it is for myself. Like I'm 
I'm, an, I'm a question asking kind of a person. Uh, Adam and my wife are about the only two humans that I think I would ever just blindly trust in their decisions. And uh, Christian, um, not a far cry behind that, but uh, uh, Christian is, is the natural heel where Adam is a natural hero and my wife is a natural hero. And even though she comes off as a heel, she is a total baby face. Um, <laughs> Don't ever look at my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you might not know it to look at her Facebook, but um, yeah, I just, I, I can't speak highly enough of those guys. So there you have it. That's awesome, man. Um, do you have any sort of stories training under Rob Fugo and Ron Hutchinson? Uh, how was that experience for you? And how was the process leading up to your debut match? Uh, so training with Ron was awesome. It was really difficult. Um, he gave no quarter, like you earned everything you had to get. Like there was no entitlement, no favorites, no, uh, well, could I just do this next time? Or oh, I'm not good enough to do this. Could I just, you know, get that 27th place trophy? None of that. Like yeah. you had to go for that brass ring at all times, or you'd just get weeded out. You just, he'd, he'd break you. You know, he wasn't a mean guy. He was just, just a hard ass that was protecting his business. And he wasn't going to let just anybody into it. Like he wanted to make sure that you had the grit to finish the game. Uh, I've told this many times before, but like my first wrestling practice with Ron Hutchinson was harder than my very first black belt grading. And that was no easy task. Let me tell you. Um, he said, uh, we wouldn't take a water break until somebody puked. And the class wasn't going to be over until somebody just said, I'm quitting. I'm never coming back. So I want to say about three and a half hours later. Yeah. Three and a half hours later, somebody yacked all over the place. So we got a water break and about four hours and 45 minutes ish. Somebody just said, yep, I'm done. I'm never coming back. And the class was wrapped. Wow. And it did not get, it did not get easier after that. Oh, and you hear about a lot of other so, like, Sorry, sorry to chime in there. I'm just saying you hear about a lot of other places like the horror stories of WCW Power Plant, but this sounds like it's got nothing on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, all these places, all these places are designed to, uh, you know, just get the right people. In the, I don't know if right people yeah. is right is the right word, but uh, the the gritty people, I guess, is maybe the, the better word. They just they didn't want tenderfoots in there. They didn't want little prima donnas in there. Weirdly. Um, as your career goes, you may or may not turn into a prima donna, or maybe you're just already that underlying, but maybe you just don't play those cards until then. But I pride myself on just being pretty straightforward. Um, you know, I can make my mistakes. I'm not Mother Teresa by any means, but I try. I try to yeah. be a good dude. And uh, there you go. And I do believe in working hard. I, if wrestling student or people come into like our school, Snake Pit, FSW in, in Vegas, you're not just going to get like breeze by like you're gonna do the work and then a lot of guys and girls get that rude awakening of like oh i thought it'd be easier you just have to hit the buttons really quick on a video game or all this stuff or when i watch Roger smith on it doesn't seem like blah, 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 blah. i mean they get a newfound appreciation for what those guys and girls do on raw smackdown nxt uh, AEW, impact roh cmll triple a new japan etc 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 um, we're not mean. We're not hard asses. We're just protective of our business and we want to make sure people with heart are the ones that get into it. So maybe that's an even better way to say it. We want to make sure it's got people with heart. Don't want people that just expect a quick pat on the back. Like I'm going into my 22nd year uh, in pro wrestling and I'm always learning. 
So if I can always learn in my 22nd year and I plan on continuing to learn and uh, then so can somebody at six months in or, or five years or whatever. Well, why am I going to get put on the card? Why am I going to get pushed? Well, be happier on the show. You know, we owe wrestling everything. Wrestling owes us nothing. So just shut the F up and don't be such a, a baby. Just realize you're going to win. You're going to lose, blah, 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 all these different things. You're not going to get booked in the perfect storylines. You know, it's a business and promoters have, you know, ideas in mind. And if you, the human product fit into that, awesome. If you don't, you know, those shoes are made for, right? Do, yeah. do, 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 do. And that's how that, that's how that kind of goes. Um, I've been on all ends of that. I've been the performer, the promoter, the producer, the coach and so forth. So I, I get it from the multi different leveled standpoints. And that's how that is. But I think a lot of people don't realize, well, I can do a moonsault. Why am I not in the main event? Can you do anything else? Can you make it look uh, believable? Can you sustain a story? Can you generate heat? Can you generate uh, sympathy? Can you generate fire and steam? You know, or can you just do a fancy move? You know, and I'm not healing on people that just do fancy moves. I, I'm super down with fancy moves. I just want to see them done in the right place at the right time. It's not the what, it's the how. Yeah, That's what we do. I jive with that. That's for sure. That's yeah. it, man. Like if, if, if I have, if I have the greatest moonsault of all time and full disclosure, I can't even spell moonsault. Um, but if, if you have the greatest moonsault of all time or greatest dive or greatest Canadian destroyer or whatever, but you lock up like two great eights in your first snow dance, you're not going to sustain any interest to get to the moonsault. Everybody else will be running off to the loo or texting or tweeting or going to the concession to get a slice of pizza or whatever, like you're not going to engage them just with moves. I always uh, tell the wrestling students on seminars and my school and wherever all the time, like uh, my favorite wrestling match of all time is Star Wars. It's got the best story. It's got an underneath baby face fighting his way up the card to a top heel that he's got to conquer, you know, and, and there's all these stories that it's not just, I don't, I don't just like that, that, that match or that movie. Uh, because there's there's cool uh, lasers and monsters and stormtroopers and spaceships. That's just the visual. If you don't tie all that cool stuff together with a great story, you're just looking at fancy stuff, and you're going to forget it as soon as you've seen it. You're just going to walk away and go, that looked neat, but I'm so emotionally not invested in it. Uh, where are we going to eat? That's it. Just that. very, very... I, and I'm going to chime in and say, how great was Darth Vader's baby face turn? I mean, uh, that, exactly. That, that Those right in the heart, that one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and see, there's the sort of the trick when you start thinking about these characters and the dynamics and these stories, like, is Darth Vader really the heel? Because people like him. So even if he's doing bad stuff, he's still over. So that's like Stone Cold getting, you know, he's booked as a heel, but he can do no wrong and he's getting over. So even though he's booked as the heel, he's a baby face. So you know, he's not the same style of babyface as Luke. Like Luke is that white meat boy scout babyface. Then Darth is that sort of stone cold, that anti-hero babyface, you know, stone cold edge undertaker, those guys that are gritty, but still lovable or good guys. You know, I think the, the, uh, the empire, I almost said umpire. The empire is, uh, he's the hero because nobody likes him. And he's the, the, the one that's stirring all the crap, you know, getting everybody riled up and creating all the heat. He's the bad guy. 
you know, yeah. and, and, and then there's all your different, like your, your fun, different tweeners and stuff like Boba Fett was a, a you know, he's, he's booked as a heel, but he's really a tweener because, you know, he's doing cool stuff. He's, he's getting cool stuff done, you know, but he's still playing on the bad guy team. So, you know, if he's squaring off against Luke, he's a heel. If he's squaring off against stormtroopers or, or monsters or whatever, he's babyface. You know, like you, you didn't want to see him uh, get ate by that, um, that big octopus thing in the pit at, the, in, at Jabba the Hutt's crib, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you're like, no, not Boba Fett, man. I really like Boba Fett. You know, you baby faced <laughs> for him when he, when, he, when he got gobbled up in that pit. But when he's doing other stuff, you're like, oh, that son of a gun. But you yeah. can't help but look at that character and go, oh, man, he's super duper cool. He's baby face. At very, at very least, he's a tweener, you know. So you can you can put things in perspective, and and uh, like everybody has a handle. Pardon me, when I drink this. A brand new wrestling student, green wrestling student, whatever you want to call them, or even just or wrestling fans. We're not smarter as savvier wrestlers. We're not smarter than you. We're not better humans than you. We just know how to tell the stories in a way that evoke your emotions if that makes any sense. Yes. And everybody has that because like, say you've never stepped foot ever in a wrestling ring, but you watch wrestling and you like it and all this stuff. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to wrestle and you get a tunnel vision that all wrestlers get. They think this is how it's got to be. And they, they need to see this move. They need to see this hurricane They need to see this thing. And they need to see this, this bounce before you do a dive. You don't need to see that stupid bounce. If one guy does that bounce, it's that one guy's thing. So, Whoever it is, let's just we'll just say Kenny Omega. If he's the only guy that goes boing, boing, boing before he hits the ropes to go dive on somebody, that's just his personal body branding. Like when you see, you know, you know this, that's Macho Man, or when you see this, yeah. this is Hulk Hogan, or you see this, this is Edge. You know, everybody's got their or this, you know, it's John Cena. You know, everybody's got visual branding, body branding, vocal branding, moveset branding. So you see all these different things and it puzzle pieces together. But I think a lot of guys just regurgitate things and become these sort of cover bands because they saw it on TV. They thought it was cool. They take it out of context. They try to do it again. It's like, remember the old Eddie Murphy uh, stand up? I don't know if it was raw or delirious. It was one of them where he's like making fun of white people for screwing up his jokes. Yeah, and he's, and he's like, and then he said, "Goody goo goo," you know, all that stuff. He's like, "So here, for, for all you assholes out there, I'm going to tell you a joke that you cannot screw up," you know. So you know, he's giving you different things. So he's sort of making light of that. I think wrestlers do that. Wrestlers like, "Oh, well, this moonsault looks cool. I'm going to do moonsault." Or this super kick looks cool. I'm going to do super kick, and so forth. This claymore, or this V trigger, or this falcon arrow, or whatever. Instead yeah. of doing your own stuff, becoming your own brand. I think these days, so many people borrow so much excuse me that they just become really really great cover bands as opposed to an original act yeah good call that's 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 in the nail on the head i think so i think (laughs) i've been known to i've been known to put a nail in my head a time or two usually through the (laughs) nose um throwing over to you carl uh you got a good bit of good sidebar there i think that'll actually add on to the point that you were just making there Absolutely. I mean, uh, so during uh, our research for the show, we've also uncovered that you have done a bit of training with the one and only Rip Rogers. Uh, yes, sir. What have, what have you hustler. learned most about Rip Rogers? I'm hopefully speaking to him tomorrow night. So. Oh, most of that I cannot uh, say in public. Um, <laughs> uh, he's a hell of a trainer. Uh, he loves this business as much as anybody. Uh, eats, sleeps, breathes it. Um, he's got that old school grit that I think is, is a, it's a dying breed of oh, yeah. not just, not just, you know, like in wrestling, but just in, in life, 
and, and so forth. So I think he's a great guy, funny, passionate, um, takes his, takes his fun very seriously. Like he, he does not want you to breach into his industry unless you are going to respect it and do right by it. And I'm down with that. Me too. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to talking to him tomorrow. And I, I had a brief chat with him on the phone a while back. Uh, I had called him on Skype because I can't call him from my own cell phone. And he, fi- he figured that out. So he's brilliant in the ring. I'm, I'm impressed that he figured out all the Skype and the Zoom. and the. Well, I, I called his phone number and he told me off for calling him because he thought it was a debt collector. <laughs> well, it is, you never know. Well, I mean, you know, he, that's that's how that's what his psychology tells him. You know, he's just got yeah. that sort of that carny carny mindset and so forth. And, and kind of going back to that last little point, talking about like again, whether you you're a wrestling student or a wrestler or a wrestling fan or whatever, we all have that capacity to tell these stories or to watch and appreciate these stories. Oh, I don't like this guy or girl because of this. I don't like this because of that. Or when guys and girls get tunnel vision into things and Rip is super adamant about stuff like this, you know, so if you just start using common sense as opposed to marking out for yourself, well, I want to do this cool hurricane. Well, maybe there's just no room in your story for it tonight. So yeah toasted you don't need it like you don't have to dip into your toolbox and get every tool like uh if i if you ask me to uh, fix your coffee table i don't need to bring over a truck full of tools and then chip away at the coffee table leg with every tool i can find i'm gonna yeah. need, i'm gonna need what i need to, to to make the table right so it's the same thing in a match like and i'm not talking about just phoning things in and rip is big on what i'm kind of talking about right now like he wants less is more he wants you to you know put that devil in the details and put quality into things and not just waste stuff. And I think a lot of guys and girls think that, Oh, unless I'm running a spot, I'm not entertaining the fans. I'm chipping the fans. The fans didn't come to get their hurricane Rana fix. They came to watch the characters. They are invested in emotionally, whether they love them, hate them, you know, they want to see those stories. And I think the, the, if you can do that. So again, you can, again, wrestler, wrestling student, wrestling fan, you can go to a movie and decide it was entertaining. It was boring. It was riveting. It was stupid. It was clever. That's all. That's the only way that wrestling fans, wrestling students and wrestlers break down matches. That there's no, you know, you go watch the Avengers or something and you're not going to look at your buddy and go, yeah, I don't believe that Spider-Man's dismount is something that he wouldn't have done there when he jumped in that building, you know, like, they're, they're just going to go, man, Spider-Man, he's cool. You know, or I don't like Spider-Man or whatever. They're not going to psychoanalyze and break it down like some sort of movie critics. They're just yeah. going to enjoy it, not enjoy it. They're going to yeah. feel it. They're not going to feel it. Yeah, I feel you, bro. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your very early career after you completed training and all that. I want to know if uh, uh, you ever did any of those loops in Canada uh, where you'd have to drive on the ice roads and, the death uh, tours. The yeah. death tours. Yes. I, I, I've done the death tours. But I did them in summer. I did not do them in winter. Okay. So uh, what you would do is um, where those ice roads are non-existent in the summertime because that's water, you would have to pontoon plane into the towns and so right. forth. Okay. I mean, you drive where you could drive and where the ice roads were, then you would take pontoon planes and stuff like that. But yeah. yes, I, I did the, 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 summer, the summertime version of the death tours, yes. Right. Yes. Excellent. That's certainly paying your dues doing the death tour. I mean, it sounds like you, you're paying your dues doing something called a death tour. So <laughs> Yeah. And, um, and let me add, let me add on to the whole paying your dues thing. Like I hear so many guys that are like, Oh, well, I'd like to get booked in the show, but it's like an hour away. 
like <laughs> the grocery store is an hour away. You know, yeah, paying dues isn't isn't for other people to see you paying dues. Paying dues is internal. Like yeah. you go after your dream, you invest in your dream. You know, nobody's going to hand your dream to you on a silver platter. Like you got to go and get it and put in the work. So paying your dues is not some punishment. Paying your dues is just climbing the mountain and doing what you got to do and getting everything uh, in, in your toolbox ready for, you know, ready for today, ready for tomorrow, the next day. Like you're not getting everything ready for someday. You're getting it ready for now and just making it better. And it's basically that whole like enjoying the journey, not the destination, which I always sometimes have to tell myself that too, because uh, I'm an artsy fartsy guy. I can, you know, yeah. get, uh, I can get, um, you know, despondent, happy, mad, sad, just the same as anybody. So, so there you go. This is my little, this is cookie. She just decided to do a run in. So here she is. She's very. Cute. She's the fun police. She's the fun police at my house. When the other dogs or cats are having too much fun, she lets them know they're not allowed to have fun. She's kind of <laughs> like the government. She's kind of like the, the government here. She's she's every politician. Oh, you're having fun. Oh, I'm gonna take that away. Oh, you can't do. Oh, no, you gotta go and stay inside. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, they're about there. Their, you uh, go. They're about to take that What's that? They're about to pretty much cancel all. They want, they want to cancel any event in, in Western Australia that has a stages of a vocal point, a focal point of the venue. So any venue that's categorized or event that's high risk, meaning lots of crowded people, alcohol. So basically any music event ever, um, it's getting right. bad where we are. So thanks to that government, all the fun police. And uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, I wanted to talk about your experience touring England in uh, 2001 with sure. Just Joe, a.k.a. Joe E. Legend. Uh, yep, with the likes Love of him. Tunker and, of course, one of your mentors, Jake the Snake Roberts. How was that going to England in 2001? Uh, so uh, Joe is one of the guys that really helped me out and really kind of learned me in my very early stages. Um, Tatanka was one of the top baby faces that I got to work with and go over on. Um, <laughs> uh, got funny, funny stories about both of those guys. Uh, England is where I actually met Jake the Snake for the very first time. Uh, so let me see if I can give you a quick sort of like a very uh, a quickie little story about each guy. So Joe Legend and I would we would sort of mess around and joke with the, the British cats. Like we loved it over there. I loved it there. He loved it there. We were never disrespectful to it. We had great camaraderie with all the British guys. And we would, you know, they, they would make fun of us being savage yanks and all this stuff. So we would just at the same time talk all hoity-toity and annoy them like that. And I think, uh, you know, like, hello, governor, do we do? And all this, ta and all this stuff. And, and they would be like, we don't talk like at you bloody whatever, blah, blah, blah. you know, we just, oh, we just chill. We just mess around. We have a great relationship with these guys. And um, I think uh, on one, one of our tour bus tours, we're all in this big bus. And uh, to pass the time, Joe Legend and I were bantering back and forth, um, hitting each other with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie quotes. And all the British guys just looked at us like we we're completely insane. And I guess they, were, they probably weren't wrong. So there's a story about Joe. Um, to this day, I call his wife Steve because I, I pretend to not be able to pronounce Svenja. So she is just Steve <laughs> to me. So for years, my name is spelled Steve. And she does not talk to like Arnold, but that's just my, my uh, version. Uh, 
who else who are we going with? Uh, Tatanka. Um, so actually, I, I, during the quarantine stuff, I did these little kind of little short story things, videos called Syndiculousness, and I talk about a, a funny story. So maybe I'll, I'll just uh, I'll bait your audience to go check out uh, on YouTube my Freak Show Wrestling channel. If you just scroll down, you'll see the Syndiculousness stories. Um, it'll say like who I'm talking about in each little kind of little bio, whatever cap caption thingy whatever the right word is, term. Um, so if you want to see my funny uh, talk story, go check that out. Syndiculousness on YouTube on my Freaks Wrestling channel. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. And uh, as far as Jake, so the, first, the very first time I met Jake was in England. And I remember, like, he was my guy growing up. Like, he was my dude, you know. And I remember sitting on, literally, I was just telling somebody this the other day sitting on a couch at one of my pal's houses as a little kid. We we're all trying to keep our eyes open watching science main event. And then, uh, so me and Edge and Christian and a couple of little kids were sitting there watching him. Out of nowhere, Jake DDT's Ricky Steamboat on the concrete. Oh, yeah. And those, and those little nerds got so upset. So they cried and I was just like, uh-huh. Like, I like Steamboat just fine, but man, I want to be that guy giving the DDT, not the guy getting clobbered with the DDT, especially on the concrete. Yeah. So, so fast forward, you know, I, I know I'm about to meet my idol, my, you know, my guy, you know, and I just had it in my head. Like I know he had his demons and whatever. And on a side note, uh, he's doing awesome these days. And I'm super proud of him on AEW. Uh, new lease on life. And he's clearly sober. And that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but back then I knew that he had his demons and I knew to not aspire to meet your heroes. So I go up to him and I said, uh, hey, Mr. Roberts, uh, my name's Nick. It's nice to meet you. And just looked me up and down. He goes, how do you know if it's fucking nice to me? You don't know a fucking thing about me. And then he walked away. I'm like, son of a bitch. I'm just ready to gig right there, you know? <laughs> and then, uh, so I, so I got to burn my saddle. So I'm like, I'm, I knew, I, I knew to be ready for that. And yet it still kind of got under my skin. So I'm kind of like brooding, you know, pardon the pun. And, uh, I'm in the locker room. And I'm lacing up my boots like I'm going to battle, like I'm just hot, you know. And I don't remember, I don't even know who I was. Hey, let me get the kid. Yeah, right. right back. Uh, my wife's doing a, a run out to go grab my little uh, daughter at her dance class. Uh, so anyway, um, not that you guys need to know that, uh, but anyway. Uh, so I was going to say, I lost my train of thought. Uh, so with Jake, what the heck was I saying about? You're, you're oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm irritated. I'm just, I'm lacing up and, and I'm just like, I'm hockey lacing my, my boots. Like they're skates, you know, like I'm, I'm getting them really put on there. And Jake is just staring at me. And I know he knows I can see him looking at me. And he's like, uh, brother, he goes, because you lacing those boots up pretty tight, brother, brother. He goes, you know, this shit's uh work right and all this stuff and i just kind of gave him a, a shitty look which like you don't really do but i figured we're on the edge of the planet we're across the pond who's gonna fucking say anything like you know whatever yeah. so so and he's just kind of just needling me you know he can tell he knows he's a master psychology he knows he's <laughs> he put a burr in my saddle you know and then, uh, then Dixon, Brian Dixon, the promoter, comes walking in, just as if on cue, like you're writing a Seinfeld episode or something. He's like, all right, Cena, you're working Jake tonight. And uh, <laughs> I just looked at him, and he's like, easy, kid. I'm just fucking around, brother, 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 brother. And, and then, then we started kind of joking, and then we, then we kind of started getting along. And, and, uh, and we, 
had our, our fun match. And again, I, I talk about the match. I won't tell you about the match, but if you want to know about that, go check out that syndiculousness stuff. It's I kind of go in depth about that story and it's completely ridiculous. I promise it will, it'll be worth it. Awesome. But yeah, that's, that's, that's how I met Jake. Wonderful. And uh, awesome. yes, everyone, please go check out Syndiculous on YouTube. Uh, find out more. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's fun. I just I wanted to give people something to like. We did that snake pit online, and, and I get, and I did those syndiculousness things just while we were kind of crawling walls in quarantine and just trying to you know make productive my time and yeah do something nice for wrestling fans and distract myself, distract them, and so forth. That's that was kind of the main reason for anything that I did during the quarantine was snake pit or excuse me some ridiculousness and whatever yeah yeah and uh you know that's pretty much how our podcast was started wasn't it jack um pretty much yeah bored in quarantine quarantine um before i throw it over to jack i just wanted to ask you about 2003 and uh uh signing with tna at the time uh, as it was known mm-hmm. um as yeah. in uh you know you'll be joining the disciples of the new church how was uh how did that all come about and how was that experience um so I really liked TNA. I will always be appreciative of that being my first sort of major uh, company that I got to uh, work with and learn from. Uh, everybody in the church was awesome. Uh, Jim Mitchell, Wolfie D, aka Slash. I just saw Slash this week in Edge. It was cool and crazy, Steve. It was this was a great week of brothering, good brothering. So I, I saw all those guys this week, and it was really nice to see everybody. Um, but the church, they were great to me. Uh, they didn't have to be, and they were. Um, Shane Douglas, Mitchell, uh, Slash, Wolfie D. Uh, they were all cool. They all taught me stuff. I was still pretty green. Like I was still only three years, not even three years into the business. Now about three yeah. years ish, ish. So I didn't know anything. You know what do you know at three years? And uh, they were all cool. I think they just they they knew that I had a good uh, like I loved it. I had a good attitude. Like I wanted to be there. I wasn't trying to phone anything in. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't entitled to anything. I wasn't a prima donna. I was hardworking. I think they, they kind of sniffed that. So they, they always helped me out. They always kind of taught me stuff and say, oh, try this, don't do this. This wasn't mad. This was kind of crappy. Try to not do that or do more of this. This was good. Do more of that. And so forth, so forth. So they were always very, very cool with me. Very patient. Cool, awesome. Over to you, Jack. Yeah, TNA was, TNA was fucking sick back then, man. Like uh, you had the, uh, the feud with the Raven and uh, with, the Raven, Raven and the Gathering. Uh, so tell us about that experience. Um, I'm assuming you would have learned so much uh, working with Raven. Yeah. So I think at that stage of the game, Raven was kind of not in a great place. Like even though mentally, like even though he was the yeah. top guy there, um, you know, he had his, his own personal things, which is that's his business, not mine. I don't, yeah. don't need to air any of that. Just his deal. Um, but he was rather unpleasant to deal with. And then weirdly, I don't know, I want to say maybe it was about, about two years ago, he came into town here in Vegas and he called me up and said, hey, you want to go for dinner? And I said, sure. And, uh, and I've, I've seen him, you know, here and there, like at different shows. I've done, I worked with him on different shows here and there over the years. And we were just, hey, man, how you doing? You know, we were like, we weren't mad at each other or anything like that. We're just, just two, two of the brothers in the locker room, you know. And so uh, he would always kind of give, give sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, very insulting compliments, you know, like he, he yeah, would, yeah. Uh, he would, he would tell you something nice, but it would be uh, breaded and baked in, in something a little bit, you know, mean or whatever. And so we had dinner and he goes, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, uh, I apologize for always being a, a shithead to you. I just was, you know, 
going through what I was going through and didn't mean to take it out on you or anybody else. So I thought that was super duper cool of him to do that. And, uh, and he kind of brought up something that I guess I had known, but until he really said it, I just, I didn't really zero in on it where he said that he was like a massive Jake fan. And he always was a bit jealous that I spent so much time with Jake where he really didn't. And he's just like, I don't know if you realize this, but you're the guy walking around with like, like you're the portable hard drive to Jake the Snake's knowledge, like more so than just about anybody. Like I've logged more car rides, more hanging out in the living room or in ring time with him than just about anybody. So, yeah. you know, Jake's brilliant and he's as, as sharp as a knife, you know, but he's in his mid sixties and he can't do what he was put on this world to do, you know, I mean, he's great on the mic and everything, but as far as like to get those, those old school matches out of Jake, you just physically can't do it. The guy's in his mid sixties, you know, so yeah. who could at that age, you know, really. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not old, but I'm not young, but I'm, I'm old enough where I can wrestle with the young guys, but I've got a lot of his notions and knowledge and advice and ideas in my head. Where we've, we've spitballed, we've, you know, we've exchanged ideas. I, he was very cool when we first started riding uh, together. He is, you know, him being the senior guy, me just being like, yes, sir, okay, I'll, you know, whatever he says. And he was very quick to sort of say, hey, he was, I get who I am. I get what I know. I get that you're the new guy, the young guy, but um, I'm not a better human than you. We're, we're brothers and we can exchange ideas. And I, I never don't want you to hold back an idea thinking I might think it's dumb or this or that or whatever let's exchange ideas. When you have an idea, you tell me, we'll talk about it. And then, you know, I'll tell you why I liked it, why I didn't like it. And maybe it'll propel me to have another even better idea or it'll propel you to have another better idea. Yeah. So we can bounce off of each other. And I thought that was very cool. Of, you know, the master of psychology to tell me that's like Yoda telling, you know, like farm boy, Luke, Hey, you know, chime in, pipe up. I want to hear what you have to say, you know, so I always thought that was, was very, very, very cool. And I, I like to Absolutely. kind of do that, but going back to Raven. So I guess I was like, I guess I am kind of that guy. Like, I mean, I, I would sit at, at Jake's house and we would watch tape together and he does not like watching tape. And I'll tell you why in a second, but we watched like him and rude, him and DiBiase, him and steamboat, et cetera, et cetera, him and Macho Man, everybody. He's like, brother, this is what I did here. This is why I did this. This is what I was thinking. This is what I did. So, I mean, he's cliff noting me through these matches and I'm like, wow. son of a bitch, he is sneaky and smart. Like, so I walk around with that knowledge. So, you know, when you get in the ring with me, you know, I'm not a big uh, tracer. I don't want to just memorize. I want to go out there and feel it. And yeah. people are like, what's your comeback? I'm like, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you know when we get out there. You know, I'll feel what, what I'm I'll feel what I'm feeling. I'm not, you know, I'm Sin Bodhi, not Sin Stradamus. How am I supposed to know what's going to play out? I've got to feel that shit. And again, I'm to, to, to quote an old school movie, uh, Chasing Amy, I'm a penciler, not a tracer. So I draw my pictures. I don't need to uh, trace over somebody else's ideas and hope I stay within those lines. I want to draw my own shit. Absolutely. And going and going back to Jake and not, not enjoying watching tape is because like, you know, I would tell all the wrestling students like, Hey, when you ask him for advice, realize you're not asking a wrestler about other wrestlers or other wrestling matches. You're asking a brother to remember a lot of his brothers that are no longer on the planet. Right. So right. think about that. If, if you, if you had, you know, if you had a, a, you know, I don't know if you do or not, I don't want to jinx anything, but if, if you didn't have your mom and dad anymore 
And I was just like, hey, tell me about your mom and dad. Hey, what'd your mom and dad do? Hey, what's your mom and dad like? What's your favorite color? You know, you'd just be like, I'm, I don't really want to talk about my mom and dad. It's going to get me upset yeah. and whatever, whatever, you know. So wrestlers have to understand, you know, not just Jake, but when you roll up on an old school cat, realize half of their brothers have powdered. So approach with, with uh, bedside manner and realize, see, there's a fun police. I can hear her. And she's, <laughs> she's telling them. She's telling them, you settle down. No fun for you, see? You know, but you tell him, Cookie. Yeah, you tell him. You teach him for sitting there minding his own business. I got a dog on the podcast sometime. Yeah, she she probably fill up this podcast with lots of. Uh, she'll squawk all day. She'll bark as long as you let her. Uh, but yeah, that, that's how that goes. So I think too, like you know, yeah. you, you learn you learn the way you learn, and you get not just um, you you learn as, as a man or as a woman as opposed to a wrestler. You know, you learn all it all together. You know, you grow in life just like you grow in the ring. You're not just, oh, you're a grown-ass man, and now we're going to learn how to wrestle. Or a grown-ass woman, you're going to learn how to wrestle. You're always evolving and, you know, getting new ideas. And, uh, you know, in life, you could look back, let alone in the ring. I could look back a year ago, let alone 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, and go, oh, what was I thinking? You know, I could do that in life just as quick as I can in the ring. So if we preach to the younger generation of wrestlers hey be open-minded hey be cool with each other don't just giggle when somebody does something goofy like you see so-and-so help them you know yeah be a good brother or a good sister and i say brother i mean like rock riddle was talking about this today like guy girl or anything in between if you're a worker you're one of the boys that's just that's just a term of endearment don't yeah. need it any it's not a gender thing it's not a triggered whatever it's just a term of endearment that just means you are in that fraternity so that's when I when I say being a good brother. I have so I have a lot of girls that are good brothers, yeah. you know. And so and we would call them. Hey, what up, bro? You know, I'll tell Angelina Love, what's up, bro? You know, <laughs> yeah. like I don't call her sis. I mean, I guess I guess I kind of do because we grew up in the same town together. But uh, but all the other girls that I know that are wrestlers, I'm like, what's up, dude? What's up, bro? You know, like that's what they are. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, man. Um, it's actually a really good point was made before about sort of not bringing up uh sort of their old brothers that have gone. That's something for us to sort of take on, Carl, because we, we do interview a lot of guys from uh, way back in the day, a lot of 90s, uh, a lot of 90s wrestlers. So, and a lot of their, a lot of their uh, brothers, as, as you were saying, are uh, no longer with us. So um, that's, it's definitely an interesting point, man. Something a lot of people don't really. Yeah, I, I towed a fine line with Mo last night, obviously with um, Mabel no longer being with us. I didn't want to get him too overly emotional. He did get emotional talking about uh, his friendship with Owen Hart. Who, who's that? Uh, Mo from Men on a Mission. Yeah, yeah, Mo, great guy. Yeah, good dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah he, he did get. I could see him get a bit teary-eyed when I'd asked him about. Um, for sure. So, yeah. For sure. For sure. And that's the same thing. It's like you know, you can go online, and it, it's it's funny to me because sometimes the the compliments are even more insulting than the the you know the insults because that's how out in left field some ideas are, and and guys, you know, fans talk about wrestlers or i guess just you know wrestlers actors athletes musicians whatever they kind of forget that th those are also humans that they have feelings that they have family uh they have uh hot buttons you know they have things that they don't like like maybe you say one thing to this rock star and he doesn't care you say it to the uh, same thing to another rock star and he gets all bent out of shape because that just happens to be something that sort of sets him or her off you know so i think fans 
you know, like if you say, and I, I, I think it's a kiss of death to talk about politics on, online, but if you were to say anything about anything, you know, fans will just, oh, you're an asshole, you're an idiot. When I, I see them do it to wrestlers and actors and musicians and, you know, whoever all the time, like just another person, just this, our job, you know, to be a wrestler, a basketball player, an actor, whatever, you know, like I don't heal on fans for just having a different opinion. So it's kind of like the same thing. Like we can have a, a you know, different uh, opinions, but just be cool with each other about it and so forth. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, we can have a healthy exchange of ideas. I know a lot of, really nice people that do not share the same political views as me and vice versa. That doesn't mean that we're not friends and we can't have an intelligent conversation. Like if we all went around and just cancel cultured uh, each other for varying of an opinion, you know, that's where's that going to get anybody, you know, how about, uh, how about, how about build, build relationships and friendships as opposed to it's so easy to destroy. I did a, I did a, seminar with my, my buddy and my brother and my student uh, crazy Steve at uh, Ricky Morton school last week and, and he said something really very poignant I thought you know it's you could burn a bridge in two seconds quick match in a little a little can of t- uh, gas and you burn that bridge instantly it's much harder to to build a bridge you know building building is harder destroying is easy so you know I think communication whether it's wrestlers in a wrestling locker room having a match you know, trying to entertain fans or fans and wrestlers, wrestlers and fans, or just humans and humans, you know, I think any idiot can jump to F you very quickly, you know, take a, take a breath and and use some intelligence and some empathy and sympathy and, and, and compassion and figure out, all right, why is this person being like this? How can, how can we do our best to get on page or at least closer than, you know, we were in the first place? I think that applies to wrestling as it does in life. But what do I know? I wear bucky, uh, dunnies, uh, bunnies and duckies and, and piggies on my boots for a living. So what the fuck do I know? Leaving <laughs> <laughs> um, TNA, what was the uh, story behind being uh, let go? So I was trying to just do some research on that and I just could find almost nothing. So uh, what was your, uh, what, what happened there? Uh, so... Uh, if you find out, you tell me. <laughs> uh, uh, just uh, one, one day we're there. You know, we're working hard. We never, we never gave attitude. We never disagreed with any finishes or any points of business. We did what we were told. We're good soldiers. And then just, uh, you know, different guys come in and uh, different guys, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, people have their picks and they want who they want. And they're, they're guys, maybe. I don't know. Um Jeff Jarrett was running the show at that time, but he had other guys in there like Russo. I get along great with both those dudes. Um, I text with both those guys here and there. They're they're brothers. You know, like I'm not super close with either of them, but I'm totally cool with them. I think they're both totally cool with me. So you just, you just never know. I mean, and that was such a long time ago too. Like who knows what what the decision makers were thinking. Again, maybe they're making room for somebody new, one of their buddies, just somebody they think is, maybe going to draw money for them, whatever. Um, but I really couldn't tell you. I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. Same thing with, with WWE. Same thing. Like I got really, really good reviews from the coaches, from the wrestlers, you know, I took good care of the wrestlers in there and never, ever hurt anybody. I was always safe, always did what I was told, you know, did it with a smile. Um, but, you know, stuff just happens. and Nobody's ever in a rush to sort of tell you anything 
uh, useful when when you need to hear it. Like uh, it's almost like a, a breakup with no closure. Yeah. You don't have that, that that boyfriend or girlfriend saying, "Well, I would have stuck around, but if you just you know put the jar on the peanut butter, but you didn't, or you just you never made the bed, or you this or that." Like they're just they're never going to tell you. You just you have to get comfortable with just never knowing. So yeah, that's how right. that goes. Strange. You know, and fan and again, fans. Yeah, fans can. You know, that's a case in point where fans can go online. You see somebody get released and future endeavored and all that jazz, and then you see people cracking their jokes. Whatever. Well, I never liked that guy or that girl. Yeah, he sucked or she sucked or this or that. Da, 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 da. Not realizing, uh, you realize that that guy or girl just got their childhood dream yanked. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, you can have some people that'll still stay the course and go, well, you know, nobody told them to go be a wrestler or a rock star or an actor or whatever. It's like, well, they dared to dream and they, they went for that brass ring and I, I you know, I get responsibility, I guess, you know, if, if you're stuck in that factory and you have to feed your family and you're stuck here and stuck there doing whatever because you're stuck or, you know, and you're working hard being stuck in that situation or you are simply not stuck, but you are too gutless to follow your dreams. You know, as they say, misery loves company. So, you know, again, rewinding over 20 years ago when I went to uh, take wrestling lessons, I mean, I'm just, a sh I'm just shy of six foot two. I'm about, I was about 245 pounds at that time. I'm about 240 pounds now. I had so many people say, oh, why could you be a wrestler? Are you, are you too small to be a wrestler? Why would you do that? Like this coming from little pint-sized dudes or whatever, whatever, just really just for people that are just too scared to live their own dreams, whether it's to be a wrestler or to be anything. Yeah. You know, and so I think misery loves company. So when you hear fans online or, or wherever, like those fans don't say that stuff in real life, like that, that little jerk that's going to say something shitty about such and such wrestler online, hiding behind their keyboard and just trying to validate their little trolley existence. That'll be the same little MF -er that's going to have his knees shaken together, asking for an autograph in an airport somewhere, you know? So it's, it's very introspective to see how people treat each other, you know, and all these people, they hurt my feelings. Well, what do you think you're doing to that wrestler, that rock star, that athlete, that actor, yeah. you know, when you're, you know, so people just don't realize that, you know, everybody's people, and we have thick skin as performers, so that's fine, you know, but still, like, I mean, you know, there's wrestlers that have taken their lives or actors or musicians or whatever. You don't think, some of that has to uh, take its toll on different people. I mean, Good. how many real life people? Yeah. How many real life plumbers, accountants, truck drivers, you know, get depressed or, or do something terrible and make a mistake and take their own life or this or that. And why? Because somebody or several somebodies were consistently shitty to them or whatever. And they just were over it, you know? So I think people just, I'm not trying to cure world peace in this interview or anything. I'm just saying that it just it would be nice for people just to take a gulp of air and, and take a gulp of humanity with it and just go, I guess I don't need to be such a shithead. Or if I was to say this, would this hurt somebody's feelings or is this cool to say or not cool to say? Like, yeah. you know, just because you are physically grown does not an adult make, you know? Yeah. So like conduct, had, conduct yourself like, like a man. I had online a while ago, actually, because someone was uh, uh, tearing uh, tearing apart Glacier, uh, saying that he was nothing. He was a jobber. He wasn't any good. And I'm like, fuck you, dude. Like we had this back and forth. I'm like, why are you talking like that about somebody? That guy worked his ass off to get to where he got to, you know, and there's no need for you to tear him down like that. 
He sure did. He's a, he's a very nice man. Yeah. He worked his ass off. Uh, he tried to do something uh, creative and unique, whether he's your cup of tea or not. Yeah. And uh, how many matches does, did that guy that you had the argument ever have? Where did he, <laughs> who'd that guy, who, right. Who'd that guy ever beat? Yeah. Who'd that guy ever beat? <laughs> Yeah. You know, and so I just I, I, I giggle. I've, 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 I've tweeted it uh, tongue in cheek here or there. But like every time I hear some fans say something really stupid, like shitty stupid, like saying something dumb because humans say dumb stuff. Trust me, I'm human. I know I, I can say dumb stuff. But when I see somebody say something shitty, dumb, like the purpose is to evoke bad feelings. Yeah. I just fantasize about the ending of Jay and Silent Bob straight back. <laughs> are you hey, ding dong? Are you useless? Mark uh, number 62 at yahoo.com. Yup. Okay. <laughs> nice. Next. I, I dare to fantasize, you know, I'm not doing it. I, <laughs> nothing illegal about thinking it, you know, or enjoying yeah. thinking it, you know, let them indulge <laughs> me in that fantasy, you know, um, but there you go. Gonna uh, throw it back to you, Carl, uh, for the next next round. Cool, bro. Um, Sin, I don't want to. I'm concerned about taking up too much of your time. You, you've got your your daughter, your your dogs, and uh, wife there at home. Uh, and we were supposed to be doing this tomorrow, not today. But um, so uh, Jack, I might skip a few questions here and um, you do, yeah. get to. Uh, you yeah, know, I guess you, I guess we are we're do, we're doing the Michael J. Fox Back to the Future interview, right? Because today is is tomorrow <laughs> for you, even though tomorrow is today for me. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna yeah. have a, I'm gonna be having lunch soon. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know if the world ends today or not. Um, so there's a period of time. I, I, I too will be having I too will be having lunch soon. It just happens to be late in the evening, so there's always a good time for lunch. So. Um, after TNA, uh, there's a period of time where you're doing some WWE dark matches, tryouts. You, you spend some time in FCW. Um, when you finally got called up after all these years and um, they, you know, well, I don't know if it's a collaboration on the idea of the Kazani character. Um, did you pitch the character or um, how, how did that all when I had my sit down with Vince, and again, we, I kind of cover this a little bit, a little bit in that syndiculousness. So please check yeah. it out. I hope you guys will get a chuckle out of it. So when I had, when I had my sit down with Vince and we talked and originally, like one of the reasons that I, I did the circus stuff, the sideshow stuff in the first place, like just years earlier was I thought, a, a, of course I thought it was interesting, but B, I just, uh, I had more than one little birdie tell me that Vince McMahon liked all that circus stuff. So you know, maybe if that was a tipping point thing, maybe if that was something that would interest the boss at some point, if I was given the opportunity, then there you go. Right. So, so fast forward again, I'm, I'm having this sit down with Vince and I'm a legit circus guy. I didn't just go to the mall and put clown paint on or grab a balloon or a teddy bear and say, Hey, I'm a circus guy. I'm a legit circus strong man, a legit sideshow geek. I can do all sorts of crazy stuff. I legitimately know how to do that. So when I sat down and, and Vince is kind of asking like to tell me, tell him about myself and all this stuff, I started talking about that and he thought that was pretty interesting. And uh, uh, I think, so I was Sin Bodhi at that time, uh, but I would always, when talking to people about that stuff, I would always say sideshow or circus. I never really said carnival. And I used that word because just knowing that pro wrestling pretty much originated in the carnival and Vince, I knew that Vince knew 
that. So I'm just yeah. trying to talk to him in, in terms and vernacular that he would maybe be more receptive to, or maybe more understanding to, just paint a better picture for him. Yeah. And so, uh, so I, I did, maybe somewhat too much so. Uh, and then, um, so he goes, all right, okay, awesome. He goes, very cool, very cool. Let me think about this. And the next day, he came up to me. So this was at, at Unforgiven at uh, pay per view. And the next day at Raw, he came over and said, okay, I've been thinking about it, and uh, I'm going to call you Kazarni, which is Carney for Carney. And I, yeah, totally understood. I'm like, okay. So there you have it, and. Uh, that's so the name was him was his idea. And he asked me if I could speak Carney to which I said, yes, this is I Kizan. I said, all right, great. He goes, well, you're going to speak Carney. I thought, awesome. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. And really? uh, again, I, I had Ron Hutchinson in my head, uh, always be a good soldier, do what the boss wants and so forth. And, um, you know, whether I liked it, didn't like it, didn't matter. I was just so damn happy to be there. I was so, I am so in love with the pro wrestling business, you know, um, you know, what it should have, could have, I'm a big boy. I'll make my bed and sleep in it. I was given a gimmick that I don't think was overly awesome. And I did what I could, everything I could to make it as awesome as possible. Like in some ways it was very much me. And in some ways it was very much not. And in the ways that it was very much not, I tried to fill in those blanks as best I could. Um, but it was never about work great or it was never about good or bad attitude. I was always, uh, they were always happy with my work. They were always happy with my attitude. I think just the, the creative way the Kazarni deal played out um, wasn't what that company needed at that stage of the game. Wow. Like again, like guys, I, I've got my fingerprints on just about every monster in this business today from Ray Wyatt to Karrion Cross to Crazy Steve, um, different guys in, in, in different ways. But again, the, the I, have, I have taught more than just the creepy monster guys for sure. But I've definitely, you know, helped those guys along in their character journey and, and so forth. So I think, you know, if I was allowed to do what I kind of, what I would have been allowed, like what I was thinking, you know, everything that I pitched was still just kind of sort of hit that, that wall of like, if a writer didn't come up with it, they weren't going to use it. Yeah. I think was the case quite a bit then. And it wasn't so much so that it was just PG, like that might've been a hindrance, but I think I'll take interesting over PG just because it's PG doesn't mean it can't be interesting. Yeah. And I think I didn't want to dumb anything down, but again, I just, I, what they gave me, I just tried to do is at the best of my ability. Um, but I think if they were to let me be Sin Bodhi, I think things would have gone very differently, but would have, should have, could have. I do not have a time machine, so I cannot yeah. speculate on that. I can guess. I can humbly, confidently guess and say things would have gone a lot different if they let me be me. But yeah. the cookie crumbles the way the cookie crumbles, and, and I'm a big boy, and I'm not going to you know, backpedal or would have, should have, could have. I do what I want. Um, again, even when I, you know, as a human, when I do have a, a shittier day or whatever, my wife will remind me. She will, uh, she'll remind me and, and say like, do you answer anybody? I'll tell her no. She goes, do you do what you want? I said, yes. Do you keep any schedule? Like do you have to be anywhere from nine to five? No. I choose the towns I wrestle in. I choose what kind of merchandise I sell. I choose the way I wrestle. Nobody tells me what to do. And when I choose to teach classes, to choose to wrestle at shows or choose to do whatever, um, it's on me. 
like I have no boss. So, and I, I you know, I'm certainly not a millionaire or anything, but I, I, I make enough to feed my family and I make enough to not answer to anybody. Yeah. So I think, and so she's like, well then motherfucker, what are you crying about? So there you go. So yeah. my, my wife, the voice of reason. <laughs> as, as is my girlfriend. Um, yeah. I was joking. I, to, I tell everybody she's, she's probably heard me say this, this joke a million times, but it's a hundred percent true. She is my white knight. She is my hero. And she, she is the, the, the chicken hawk to my foghorn leghorn. And uh, <laughs> I always joke and say, I'm afraid of no man or beast, but my wife scares the shit out of me. So there you go. I, I laughed. I, I just, I just, I was helping coach of the OVW combine this week and I was uh, coaching alongside Al Snow, the OVW uh, grand Puba, and uh, also Doug Basham of the, the Basham brothers oh, and Dan, the beast Severin. And oh, wow. we were just and Dan and I were just shooting the shit. And I used that line. I said, I'm afraid of no man or beast. And as soon as I said it, I realized he's going <laughs> to kick my ass. And he started laughing because I know what you're doing. I get what you're saying, brother. And all this stuff. And I, was, I was going, I was feeding into that line about, about, you know, just being scared of my wife. And he just gave up like, I go, that's not what I meant. He goes, I know, brother. <laughs> I'm like, all right, sweet. So no, no front uh, rear naked choke for me then. Sweet. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the situation. Awesome. So, yeah, we're hey, kid, even though I'm on, a, I'm on a, I'm on a, uh, a podcast, I don't worry, they can't see my kid. Super shy. Let me see your haircut. She got her haircut. She's not going to show me. Oh, I guess I have to wait until this podcast is over. She, <laughs> she got a pretty fancy haircut and now she's wearing a little, a little uh, beanie to, to cafe me. Now I'm <laughs> what she looks like. Yeah. yeah cool, man. Yeah, we're actually going to be speaking to Doug Basham on Sunday. So pretty excited about that. Um, oh, you tell that you tell that sexy son of a bitch I said hello. I will. Um, <laughs> so the uh, vignettes for Kazani Air. Uh, you make your debut against MVP on the January second, two thousand nine edition of SmackDown. You pick up the win. I watched this back uh, maybe last week, and I've kind of felt like the crowd didn't know whether to go for you or to boo you. the The crowd were a little bit weird in that matchup. What was uh, your perspective on that so um again one of my good brothers dr tom he was in gorilla position as i went to the curtain and i kind of knew as a worker like again uh as an employee uh, i was always taught to do what the promoter wants as a worker i couldn't help but think what i thought and i just remember thinking like you know, they want me to squeak out an 11 minute or 10 minute victory on a guy on a losing streak. Yeah. I don't know that that's a great, like on any given story, on any given episode, like if I was already an established character, okay, fine, no problem. But I thought for a debut match, I don't know that that's what the fans needed. Like yeah. I, I, needed to, I needed to go destroy somebody in like a minute. Yeah. You know, and not fight from underneath for 10 minutes again on a dude, even though MVP is awesome and he's tough as nails, but just as far as I'm just talking storyline, he's a guy on a losing streak. You yeah. know, so people are starting to kind of flip him baby face because yeah. they're generating sympathy for him. Exactly. So bad for him. And then, so as I'm walking through, I look at Dr. Tom going through the, the gorilla and I'm just like, I do that and just, and this is what Doc does to me. He looks at me and goes, I'm like, great. The doctor of desire doesn't know what to do. I'm fucked. You know? <laughs> so I, uh, I think, I think that 
Jersey audience is sort of uh, more of a, a heel audience. And I looked like a bad guy. I moved like a bad guy. So I think confusion was my friend. Like I think so instead of them, because Vince totally wanted me to be a babyface, ultra, ultra babyface. I didn't see it and the agents didn't see it. The other boys didn't see it. And I don't think the fans saw it, but that's what Vince saw. And again, I was just going to be a good soldier and I was going to do what the boss wanted. And that was, that was that. So, but I think the confusion of the fans thinking, is this guy a bad guy? Should we enjoy watching this bad guy beat up this guy who is turning into a good guy? Um, you know, so I think, I think the noise was a very um, confused noise. I think those fans didn't know what to do. You know, yeah. and it was, I want to say the third hour of a four hour double taping. So they oh, were tired, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, so there's just a lot of weird factors to it. And again, I think uh, like I was a bit thrown off because I, till, till that point too, like now, you know, wrestling good guy or bad guy, I can do it in my sleep, no problem. But at that stage of the game, I was about seven, seven or eight years in. And I, I want to say I probably wrestled, excuse me, about 90% of my matches as a bad guy. So now I've got to think a bunch of cool stuff to do and funny stuff or weird stuff, but also too. So I have to think of a whole new different kind of a moveset or so I thought, you know, I might've, I, I might have a different mindset. Now like I, I, I wrestle damn near the same as a good guy and a bad guy to use the same moves as a good guy and a bad guy. I just know where and when and what to, to do with it. Back then I was so used to being a very kick punch bad guy and then also now i'm a good guy and so that threw me for a mental hurdle right there and uh trying to think of moves as a weird character but everything that uh, you know i kind of threw at the agents they kind of thought oh i don't know if that's gonna piss off vince or whatever um yeah. as opposed to just going out there and doing it and then having maybe Vince go oh that was funny or oh that was cool or i oh, don't do this or i oh, yeah, do more of this or whatever I think I think the mindset of the agents at that stage of the game were kind of they didn't want to take a whole lot of chances on a new guy. So uh, I think if I was just if they just let me out of the gate and said go get over, like if they just yeah, told me that or go, or go get heat, what whichever, yeah. I, I think I, I would have had a lot more fun and, and could have really wrapped my brain around that a lot more. But every I remember everything that that were like, well, well what if I did this? Like, oh, you can't do that. Well, what if you do this? Oh, I don't know. Well, Vince will fire both of you do that, you know? Yeah, right. Well, like, I don't know why. And then I would see similar stuff not too far down the road, you know, like. Um, so it just it was a very uphill battle as far as that, just trying to figure out what the character was. And on, I mean, you know, there's only a, a few spots on TV. Like there was a few vignettes. There was a match in a battle royal and a couple backstage things or whatever. But I did a whole ton of live events, tons right. of live events. Yeah. And I wasn't the, I wasn't the, the first match. I was somewhere always in the middle somewhere, but I'm on a card uh, as a, basically as a glorified indie guy, no disrespect to indie guy. I'm an indie guy, but at that stage of the game, I'm like this one indie guy in the middle of a card full of edge, Christian, big show, undertaker, triple H, Hardy boys. And just the list goes on and on. Yeah. And there's little old me. Yeah. I'm either wrestling MVP or maybe Chavo or maybe like Hawkins or Ryder or somebody um, or Eric Escobar, uh, who was Vicky Guerrero's bodyguard for a minute, you know? So I'm wrestling guys that are uh, maybe with the exception of Chavo and MVP. Um, we're still kind of new guys and, you know, not very well-known guys. So it's not like I'm in there against Jeff Hardy, who I could do no wrong and people are going to cheer for Jeff yeah. or, 
you know, or I could be in there with, you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of whoever, whatever bad guy in there. Like if I was in there with Edge and he was the heel, like he's such a good heel that what he did would have made them love me, you know, let yeah. alone whatever I could have brought to the table. So I was in there again with guys that were, you know, aside from MVP and Chavo, you know, guys that are just, okay, well, if he beats me, beats him. If he doesn't, he doesn't. So I think we did a pretty damn good job of making people care about those matches. Like we have agents like Steamboat, Arn, Malenko, IRS, you know, they'd be like, good shit, kid. All right. Like you got over wow. on that card. Holy crap. Like good job, you know? So, so it was never a, it was never an issue of work rate or attitude. I think it was just, I want to say between, you know, budget stuff and, and, and so forth, whatever they were doing, you know, it just was uh, just luck of the draw, I guess. Yeah. Over to you, Jack. Um, I did read that uh, shortly after your WWE release, uh, you had hopes of touring Japan, which uh, never came to be. Could you tell us about this tour and what your plans were? Uh, so I didn't have any exact plans on touring Japan. I just wanted to wrestle in Japan. I, I grew up. Uh, I, I grew up as a as a martial arts brat. Like I loved wrestling, but my family business was martial arts. My dad was a ranked fighter. My mom owned a dojo. I grew up at karate tournaments. Like as a little kid, running around at karate tournaments tournaments with like Chuck Norris and Benny the Jet and all these different high-end martial artists. So um, I was even a, a ranked fighter in my, you know, earlier days in, in Canada. My dad was a ranked fighter in States and in Canada. Uh, I, I never trained at any little like family martial arts stuff. I trained with like Canadian champions, American champions, world champions. So I learned all sorts of stuff. And I mean, martial arts is rooted in Japanese culture and it was, that was very heavy in my life. And I just, I really wanted to go and wrestle in Japan. And uh, so I'll put it out there right now, whatever promoters are out there, whatever, I want to come and wrestle in Japan. So if there's a promoter out there that wants me to be in Japan. I've had so many people tell me, Oh man, you'd be awesome in Japan. I'm like, I'd like to think so, you know, but I would like an opportunity. I've had matches air in Japan. I have just never set foot in Japan. So, I mean, I wrestled other Japanese wrestlers um, from Yoshida to Kaz Hayashi and been in there with uh, Liger and so forth uh, over here, but I want to go over there. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think that might, I hate using the word character, but for lack of a better term, character, because it is me. It's just me with the volume cranked. I am a legit circus dude and I'm pretty nutty when you get me surrounded by ropes and turnbuckles and so forth. But, uh, but yeah, I'll definitely say like, I would like to go and wrestle in Japan and uh, I will not disappoint. Awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, before I throw it back over to Kyle to sort of tie this all up, um, I wanted to sort of talk about your own variety stunt show. Um, I believe uh, in my, from my perspective, branded is also a pro, uh, pro wrestling promotion called uh, Freak Show Wrestling. Uh, so Deb, um, tell us about Freak Show Wrestling, sort of uh, what is it? Um, do you have any crazy crazy stories of the shows uh, any horror stories from the fans or anything just go nuts uh so freak show wrestling is a variety show uh it's a buffet of different medium you know different style of wrestling comedy sideshow magic music burlesque you name it and it's also a farce it has also got to do with the stuff that I do not like about pro wrestling. Stuff that I want to, you know, make fun of. Like I, I think dives in wrestling are awesome. 
But I think when guys and girls just do them nonsensically, I think that's idiotic. Or when you see, you know, like you'll see this awesome picture in, on Instagram or something of this beautiful dive. And what wrecks that photo is underneath that beautiful dive, you'll see the loving arms of this wrestler waiting to catch yeah. this person. Like, totally. you don't want to look like you're collaborating. Like, it's yes. got to look like... Like, if, if, if Luke jumped off the Death Star and Darth went, I'll catch you, bro, you know, you're going to get took out of the story very quickly. So it's the yeah. same thing with, with pro wrestling. So on Freak Show, where you see guys, like, you know, two or three guys on the side. And then, One, please. Um, so, you know, the guy's going to do the dive. Cookie, relax, bro. We're just having fun. Um, so, Cookie. Cookie, don't you know that I'm doing a, a, a Zoomy podcast thingy? Don't you know that's a bark? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, you know, when, when you're, you know, you're watching the match and you see these guys on the outside fighting and then the other guy's about to do the dive, you damn near see them arm in arm just, shifts, yeah. you know, bobbing, waiting to catch this dude's dive, like singing Kumbaya. So I would yeah. literally have two dudes or three dudes outside arm in arm singing Kumbaya waiting for a dive. <laughs> And it wouldn't even be a, an actual dive. It would be like, you know, like the Zach Galifianakis impersonator from the hangover with the, he'd have the little baby and he'd, he'd run the little baby along and throw the baby over the top ropes. And all the guys <laughs> on the outside singing Kumbaya would take the bump for the baby and stuff like, <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. Just yeah. stuff that I would just tongue in cheek, silly stuff about the, the, the entity that I love, which is pro wrestling. So there you go. Awesome, man. Um, I'll just, and, and, and I will, I will say, I will say this about future wrestling. Like it, it's, I, I, it's not a lot of people showing up as their own characters, which there are some for sure. Like techno destructor, who is one of the OGs from Guar or funny bone, you know, and so forth. Yeah. But a lot of, a lot of the characters I wrote and it just was almost just, sometimes it was just too much. Uh, it was too expensive and too much work for the payoff. Like I'm getting right. other characters over where I would like to, spend time traveling like that. I love traveling. I love going to, new, you know, cities, states, provinces, countries, and, and seeing new things, meeting new people and wrestling in front of new audiences. So, you know, when I travel, when I get booked wherever, you're basically getting freak show wrestling. Like I am freak show wrestling. So all those ideas are me. Yeah. So when I come out, if, if I'm going to do something a little funnier, a little crazier, a little scarier, a little whatever, depending on, you know, what, what we need that night, you're going to get, you're going to get free show wrestling. Yeah. Like um, it could be, you know, are you getting, or am I trying to, uh, am I wrestling you in an indivisible steel cage or am I throwing a whipped cream thumbtack pie at your face? Or am I going <laughs> to, you know, try to try to impale you on a Rocky chair, horse bed of nails, like whatever. I don't know. I mean, or am I just going to have just a, just a straight out regular sports entertainment match with you, you know, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be, bizarre it's going to be aggressive it's going to be funny it's going to be scary but it, it will definitely be freak show wrestling sounds like a lot of fun, totally. fun man yeah definitely it is it is i take my fun very seriously <laughs> <laughs> uh, i guess before we put a bow on this one i wanted to ask uh one more question before we get to our segment five second frenzy which i'll explain in a minute but um is there anything else I'm guessing it's got something to do with five seconds but but anyway go ahead <laughs> um do you have anything else that you wish that you can accomplish in the wrestling business uh, at this stage of your career? Uh, well, I have enjoyed uh, multiple uh, guest coaching opportunities at uh, 
the PCE in Orlando, and I would really like to uh, do more of that once all this, once we get a handle on what this new normal is, and, and uh, hopefully that happens. But uh, to be honest, I feel that I got still uh, quite a few good years in me, and I would just want to wrestle on uh, the biggest companies I can get my hands on. I mean, I enjoy wrestling on smaller shows, but I'll tell you right now, I, in the most humblest and most respectful of ways, I can hang with anybody at WWE. I can hang with anybody at AEW. I can hang with anybody at Impact, ROH, New Japan. Um, prove me wrong. Prove yeah. me wrong. I'd love to see it, man. I'd love yeah. to see you get another crack at, at, in the, the WWE because uh, the first time around, it seemed like uh, the situation wasn't working uh, for whatever reason. So another chance to show you, show the whole world that, you know, you're not just a, a one-match wonder against MVP on television. There is a depth to a, a, this character and, and this performer, and, uh, and it will be great for the world to see it. Um, well, I think, I think like, Al, they used to refer to Al Snow as the best-kept secret, and then also, too, like, is, you know, as famous as Dr. Tom is, he's more known, you know, in the locker room as a great coach. He's the coach of coaches he's the coach of some of the greatest wrestlers that ever walked the planet you know but his coaching stature i think it's safe to say overshadows his in-ring tenure and his in-ring is amazing uh, i'd like to think as a, a very different performer than dr tom but is similar and different in, in the sense that maybe uh you know the crazy clown looks a lot different than the doctor of desire but how we work, how we think, how we can, we can call it the fly, we can, our psychology and our, our teaching skills, you know, are, are pretty well known. But I think uh, as, as much as I do enjoy coaching, yeah, I think uh, my heart's in the ring. So yeah. there's that for sure. For sure. Cool, right. I just think I, I'm just, I don't want to be the wrestling's best kept secret. Like when a bunch of guys get released from WWE and they just end up at AW or impact river. I'm super happy for those dudes, but at the same time, what about me? Yeah. I can do what they can. I can do what they can do. Yep, I and humbly say I can, I can do, I can, I can do me better than anybody on the planet. I'll just yep. say that. Cool, bro. Well said. Um, so five second frenzy is 10 ah. quick. 10 quick questions, got five seconds to answer each question. Although, as I say, as per usual, most of the time, pro wrestlers do need more than five seconds to answer a question. So Fair enough. But it's just to get to know you a little bit better in things okay. that you like. Uh, so first okay, so question. wait, let, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let, me just, <laughs> let, me see if I can, let me see if I can do this weirder and different, more different than anybody else. Let's see if I can right. read your mind. I'm going to read your mind. I'm going to say uh, pickles. Pink leopard skin, dump trucks, rock and roll express, outer space. So let's see, let's see where we go. Let's see what happens. So ask away. Okay. Let's see if those fit. Let's see if those fit. Okay. Your favorite wrestler? Definitely not Pickles. Um, <laughs> Jake the Snake. Your favorite opponent? Gangrel. Awesome. Uh, your favorite match that you've ever had? I Michael my Michael Jackson knife fight with Gangrel. <laughs> yes. Love you. I'll come and meet you in a minute. Your favorite talk, TV I show? Talk, I was talking to my wife, not you. Oh. Okay, right. <laughs> favorite TV Sorry, show? What was favorite TV show? 
I have just way too many of those. Uh, I'm brain farting because I have too many and I'm just going to do it like a mental dump. Oh, uh, man. A-Team. Nice. Uh, your favorite film? Star Wars. Excellent. Nice. Uh, favorite food? Sushi. Your favorite place to eat on the road? Waffle House. Yeah, that's two in a row now, I think. Um, favorite alcoholic beverage? Red wine. Nice. Excellent, excellent. I just drank, I just drank this bottle last night. Um, there you go. Favorite female body part? Boobs. <laughs> and the last one is... Actually, actually, that's actually not true. It, would, it, it, it is politically correct and is... Boy Scouty, as this is going to sound, uh, honestly, is, is is mind and heart because yeah. you can be is you can be the most beautiful on the outside if you got nothing to say and you got no substance. I'll be bored in ten seconds. Oh yes, I get, get you, bro. I get you, bro. Um, and we've had that answer quite a few times as well. Um, and and the final boobs one, are cool. Boobs are also really cool. They're fantastic. They're fantastic. And the last one is your favorite curse word. I think I say fuck sakes about a million times a day. So I guess I'd have to go with fuck sakes. I agree. Okay, cool. Well, uh, Sin, it's been a real joy having you on tonight. Thank you very much for uh, coming in last minute after I'd messed up our time difference and everything. It's all um, good. But I just want to say this has been such a, a wonderful conversation and uh, I've learned already so much from you uh, just through this conversation. You have a fantastic wonderful mind for the wrestling business and the story Thanks, is one that I've really enjoyed and uh, I hope you're very Thank proud you. of everything that you've accomplished. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was the show here on the WCWA network alongside my co-host Jack Wallace and our new friend, Sin Bodhi. We will see you next time. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank